to. Time out. I'll take a 30. A podcast relating to the worldwide and universal game of basketball. Where listeners get the opportunity to hear unscripted conversation, thoughts, as well as emotions from players, coaches, parents, and officials. Those who directly affect the game. We're back with another episode of I'll Take a 30 Basketball Podcast. Um, we took a slight pause. I really didn't want to do another episode until I could get this guest on the pod. But uh, we're back and we're ready to give the listeners some much needed content. Um, if you're a parent, player, coach, or just a basketball enthusiast, our guest today may be the most important person you don't currently know. Her wealth of knowledge and expertise is hands down the best in the business. So I want my listeners, please help me welcome counselor, coach, mom, wife, all <laughs> things you need to know about the college, uh, college athletic admission process extraordinaire, Ms. Sinead Howard to the podcast. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for that warm introduction. Absolutely. I'm doing great. Uh, you don't mind if I call you Coach Howard or what do you prefer? Anything, Sinead, Coach Howard, whatever flows, you know, I'm, I have worn a lot of hats. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So before we get into the crux of the program, just tell the listeners, who is Sinead Howard and just a little bit about yourself? Um, Sinead Howard, born and raised in New York, um, one of five children. That, that I always have to say New York because I was born and raised, you know, always. But I live presently in the northern Northern Virginia area. Um, I played Division One basketball. I love academics. I'm married to an awesome husband, Isaac Howard. I have three children. I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and I have a big one named Duro, who is my my older son that we adopted. Um, but I'm so I'm a mother. Um, I'm a former, you know, student service services director, athletic director, coach. I've worn a lot of hats, but presently I'm an educational consultant, just around here helping student athletes and their families understand the college application process, and more importantly, as a student athlete, the academic eligibility process. And so that's me in a nutshell. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that I mean, awesome. And I mean, today, I mean, a lot of people are going to get free game, just a, a, a tidbit. We're not going to give them a whole, whole lot because I think uh, which your expertise is, is worth more than gold. So we'll give them a little bit today. But uh, before we get into the uh, the the meat of everything, when did you fall in love with the game of basketball and who inspired you or had the greatest impact on your game? Oh, wow. That, that's good. Um, I want to say I fell in love with the game of basketball in 1997. Wow. Yeah, I'm aging myself. And it was the inception of the WNBA. So mm. I I was like, oh, what am I doing? And, and I fell in love around that time. And... I, I was 12 years old when I walked into a gym, um, Positive Direction in Rosedale, Queens, um, under Joanne Arbitella Pinnock. And she put a ball in my hand and bro, I shot it over the rim. Like I shot it, I shot it over the hoop. And she told my mom, don't worry, we could work with her. And those words right there, because she gave me a chance, right? I, I couldn't play a lick, right? I couldn't do nothing. I really couldn't. I was horrible. But she said, don't worry, mom, we could work with her. And from then, it hit off. You know, I, I learned the game. I had a knack for it. She, you know, I trained, I did everything. And, um, 
the rest is history. You know, I got Division One scholarship playing under her program, and she inspired me. Joanne Arbatella Pena inspired me not only because she believed in me; it was more importantly, she gave me a chance. And I think a lot of kids mm-hmm. today don't get that chance. She gave me a chance to develop, and she taught me how to develop. And then on top of that, Cheryl Swoops is one of my favorite players to this day. Um, and so I loved her game, and that was that's one of my top motivating basketball players as well. Oh yeah, she's awesome. Swoops, Swoops is a beast. So. Yeah. Uh, you 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 mentioned you were a D1 athlete. So how was the recruiting process for you um, with uh, AAU in high school? How, how did it work for you? Well, you know, I played on a, a pretty decent team. Um, I had some players on my team who were much better than me, right? So let me, let's put that out there right there. <laughs> I had I had highly recruitable players on my team, but we were an independent program just playing. But, you know, my coach made sure we were playing in some of the top tournaments always, even as an independent program. Um, and she used to say the same line that I use today, even when I'm coaching. Listen, they may be coming to see what her, like she would say the certain player's name, but she can only go to one school. So you better show up and do what you have to do to get to that recruiting and get to the next level. And, um, you know, she motivated us to all, she always used to say, do what you can do and do it great. And it started happening. I went to high school. I went to a really academic high school. And so the recruiting process started slow for me, but around my sophomore into junior year, I just started getting these letters and I started getting back in the day uh, for those who are out there, they used to send letters in the mail, um, handwritten notes. So I started getting these handwritten letters and then, you know, people, you know, coaches started calling my coach at school and different things like that. And the recruiting process picked up. It was a lot of local schools. And in my head, I didn't think I was good enough to go D1. So I was like, man, a D2 school called me. I'm happy. You know, I took every opportunity as a blessing, right? Even if it was D3, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they want to see me, right? Right. <laughs> so that's how I took it and it went along. And then it was this one coach and um, her name's Ty Grace. She's the head coach of Howard University. Oh, and yeah. um, she recruited me and she wow. gave me a chance and um, just her, she was the one coach in the whole recruiting process that I identified with the most. And we clicked and she got me to commit to her school that at that time, presently, she was at Fairleigh Dickinson University. Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And um, she had a lot to do with that because she saw me. She knew my strengths and she got me to go there. Now, if she was at Howard back then, I probably wouldn't Howard, but, you know, <laughs> she was at FDU and that's where I committed. That is awesome. Wow. And, and I like that you said that, um, you know, it didn't matter if it was a D2, D3, you yeah. were just humble enough to appreciate it and, uh, um, not to go down that rabbit hole, but I, I think so many athletes today, it's a D1 or bus mentality. And oh, yeah. I think they miss out so much. What, what do you think? Oh, yeah. It's, it's crazy that it's a D1 or bus mentality when it's such an honor just to get chosen. Like there are hundreds of thousands of high school student athletes, hundreds of thousands, and only a 1% chance of them going to any level to play. So 1% for D1 out of high school. 1% for D2 and 1.3% approximately for D3. So you're talking about three and a three and a three and a half percent of high school student athletes even going on to any of those levels. And sometimes kids are like, oh, if it's not D1, I'm not going. Whoa, any level is it's it's like, oh my goodness, you better take that opportunity. It's an opportunity that you should be saying, wow, I'm getting a chance to play. And I'm and I'm humbled by it. Wow, yeah, absolutely right. And I just like how you just roll those numbers off. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's why I know. I mean, you're you're the best in, in the game. But uh, let's talk about student academics and eligibility. Um, 
And for the listeners, I, I would advise them to get a pen and a pad if, if they don't have one. But in, in your experience, what are some of the pitfalls or mistakes you see some of the student athletes um, you see making when it becomes uh, when it comes to their academics and their eligibility? Um, some of the biggest mistakes that I see, and I'm just going to throw it right out there because this is the game and this is what everyone's doing now. Everybody wants to reclass, right? Mm-hmm. Reclassification right there. Um, they're doing it because other people are doing it. They're doing it because it's not fair if I'm younger and I'm playing up. You know, everyone's doing it. Back in the day, we didn't have, we couldn't do it. Simple, we couldn't do it. But reclassification is here. And what I'm seeing is people and parents um, listening to programs, some programs and some coaches that don't have any idea about the process, but saying, hey, you can do it. And then these kids end up repeating classes or dropping classes that they shouldn't drop that are not core classes and end up being ineligible. And when I say repeating, I'm talking about, okay, I'm going to repeat ninth grade, right? I'm going to reclass. And then they end Mm -hmm. up taking the same ninth grade classes in that second year. All they're doing is making themselves a, a year short of core classes. And I'm seeing that more and more, or schools have popped up over the last three years in COVID, like three, four years in COVID. And these schools are popping up out of nowhere. I mean, mm. you know, they, they these schools, someone decided, oh, I'm going to have, a, I'm, I'm decided I'm going to make a, a, a school and then I'm going to call it a school and we're going to play some national games. But the curriculum that these students, the schools has offered is not accredited. They're not accredited. They're not real life schools. And then these kids go here for a year and that whole year is washed because none of those credits counted. None of those credits were NCAA approved. They did not submit their course catalog to the school system. And so then there's wiped. There's a whole year wiped out of this. But these parents don't know that. They say, hey, they have classes. They're doing them online. They're doing this. And NCAA has very particular rules about online education. In the first two years when COVID hit, there was a lot of exceptions to the rule because a lot of us were online, right? We were doing virtual. But the NCAA still had those regulation. It had to be accredited. It had to be NCAA approved. And a lot of students have, and what I've seen in the last couple of years, a lot of students have forfeited their opportunity to even be considered for a Division One, Division Two scholarship due to the fact that they've made some haste decisions in reclassification and choosing some of these schools that just popped up overnight. Wow. So does that include like the the like the prep schools as well? It, listen, any school a student goes to mm-hmm. that does not have an NCAA approved course list of, of classes is a risk for a student athlete. If you are to, if a parent takes their kid to, I, I don't care, a prep school, a brick and mortar school, uh, uh, any school, and you don't know that this school has a, a approved NCAA and updated, let me say, and updated NCAA approved course list, you're doing your student athlete a disservice. Before any any parents that work with me, I go, hey, what school do you go to? Let me see the transcript. The first thing I do is go check their NCAA list of approved courses. Because right then, if they're not approved, if the last time they approved their list was 10 years ago, you know it's out of date. And if, you're, uh-huh. and, and if your kid gets a scholarship today, he's taking classes that have changed since the 10 years. Come on now. You know new classes have propped up. And if that's not submitted, that's, that's a risk for your student. That's a risk for your student athlete. So updated lists. Or not a list at all. Those are two bad things. And you'll be surprised. David, I've seen so many schools, they've been around for a while, and their lists are not up to date, or they don't even have one. And no one knows. Wow, that's amazing. So in your experience, because, I mean, this is phenomenal to me. So how often do you see a player get a scholarship and they have to take extra courses just to be certified? Wow. (laughs) 
in the last couple of years, um, I would I would love to say I haven't seen any, but that's not true. Oh. Um, I would say, I don't know, like one in six, one in seven students, um, they have to take an extra class somewhere, right? Um, English. Mainly it's the English, I'm not going to lie, because Division One uh. is the... Division one is the one that has the most, you know, um, when it comes to rules. And the English class is usually the one that students are missing if they repeat or, mm-hmm. they, or, or they don't do it. Now, kids have looked up. Let, let's not say they looked up in a school that maybe they submitted that journalism course and that got them that third English. But um, a lot of times they're dropping maths towards their junior senior year because, you know, kids say, oh, I don't want math no more. I don't want this. And they're cutting themselves short of that 10-7. And that 10-7 rule cannot be, it cannot be dismissed. It is, the, it is the guiding way of Division I academic eligibility right now. It used to be test scores, SAT, and 10-7, but now since they took the SAT out, you have to have 10 core courses. And 10 of those courses must be completed before the start of a student's seventh semester or their senior year. And seven of them must be in English, math, or science. And that's where we see kids mess up, right? They want to, they take 10 courses, but seven of those classes don't are not in English, math, or science because maybe they missed the English, or maybe they dropped the math, or they didn't take two years of math. Like things that are that sound crazy to you and me, but this happens right. a lot. You know, it happens. People, parents say, I only want my kids to take what they need to graduate or what they need to do this. And we're like, that means they should take an English every year or they should take a math every year. But sometimes, you know, some schools make, you know, exceptions. They don't have to take this and they think that's okay. But um, I always encourage parents that students should take four years of all their core classes, four years of English, four years of math, four years of science, and four years of history. Because if they do that, guess what? They will never be ineligible. Wow. That, yeah, that's, that's a gem right there within itself. But since you, we were talking about the reclassifying, so maybe this is a two-pointed question, but reclassing, we talked about the academics, but I hear a lot of people reclass, oh, because you know, their bodies need to mature or they're just not mature mentally. Do you find that kids that reclass, and I know you just mentioned they don't take the, the proper courses. Do you think because they reclass, it's like, oh, I'm reclassing just for basketball, not for academics, if that makes sense? Um, some, And I will say this, and it, it's been twofold. I see a lot of kids reclassing nowadays because it is for academics. And I, and I, and to, and the reason is, is because of the pandemic. So it's very mm-hmm. hard to do. It's very hard now to say that's not true. Back, you know, before I'd be like, no, you're not, you, you're, you're reclassing because of basketball. But a lot of students did lose a lot in the pandemic. Right. And, and okay. no school, all schools were not created equal. Some mm-hmm. schools, some schools did great with virtual learning and the kids excelled. Then there were a lot of schools that passed these kids along and they did not learn and they lost a lot academically. And there are a lot of gaps in their maths and their Englishes. And so they did lose. And so I can understand students wanted to reclassify. I will even say this in the state of Kentucky, Mm. um, they allowed reclassification. They actually passed a law that allowed their public schools to allow parents and staff to choose to reclass their students or not. And it wasn't called reclass, they called the repeat or do over a year. Um, they allowed it to go on. It was, I, I don't know how many other, but I know specifically Kentucky did do it because I work with some cases there that allowed to, them to do that. So I, I do see that happening now. However, and but students and families still need to consider 
how, why they're reclassing, because you still have to submit that to the NCAA. And it's not going to be, oh, just because he needs to, he need to take that again. You have to have a reason. Every class you repeat, you're required to submit a reason when you're wow. filling, you're filling out your NCAA certification. And a lot of parents don't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> like, then it's like, oh, I'm going to repeat. Oh, that's cool. They ask a question right on the NCAA eligibility. As soon as you're filling it out for your certification count, um, have you repeated any coursework since you have been in school? And if you say yes, you're going to write why. Wow. And you but and you can't write uh, because I uh, I need to mature or I need to do this. No, you have to have a valid reason. Um, or you can risk your account being flagged. It is what it is. So every time you do repeat, if you do repeat, you will have to submit a reason as to why. So it so it does sort of have a negative connotation at some some time. Um, um if you if you're not doing if you're not answering it the right way, you don't have oh, the see. proper you don't have the proper documentation to back it up, you know. Um, usually a lot of students are switching from public school to private school. So they are, they will say the reason is the academic rigor and they needed to, you know, prepare themselves for the next level. They didn't do that. In the recent years, it's, hey, in, in the pandemic, I lost a year and um, uh, academically, I just wasn't ready. So th- those reasons are floating, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to put on there, you know, because athletically I did this. Some people do medical reclasses and um, maybe they got injured. Um, those, some of those are kind of going through and a lot of it is uh, trauma or a big thing that happened. If, if you have large deaths in the family due to the pandemic, those reasons are pretty much, you know, those are not reasons to flag it. They will, they have been allowing that to go, but you still have to make sure here's the kicker though. Hmm. Even if you do reclass and it's because of a death or a trauma or academics, you still have to meet the criteria. You don't get, that doesn't mean you get out of the way of meeting that criteria. You still have to meet the, the NCAA required eligibility to, to be certified. Like you don't get, you don't get a, a free pass. Like you still have to get those 16 core classes. You still have to get that minimum GPA and you have to do it in the proper time for D1 or D2. Wow. That, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a wealth of knowledge. But since we're, and we're talking about, the NCAA eligibility in the clearinghouse. So, and I, we talked about the 10 seven rule, but for more of us, the, who are kind of novices explain what exactly is the eligibility or the clearinghouse or, or what's the proper terminology. So, right. It used to be called the clearinghouse back in our days. It was a clearinghouse. Now they call the NCAA eligibility center. Okay. And it's just, if you are considering getting a scholarship as a division one or division two athlete, you have to fill out this account to be um, to submit your transcripts in every school you attended. And this is a key thing, and, I, and I'll, a caveat, I'll, I'll stop here. Most basketball players or football players I meet these days, they have attended at least two schools. Mm. Um, minimum, you know, minimum they spent, but they have to understand every school you attend, the NCAA is going to require you to submit a transcript. Every single school you attend. So you can't just say, oh, I did better here. And, you know, I may not submit those that repeat year. No, every every year you went to school, you have to submit. And that has to go to the NCAA. So what they do is they take a look at your transcripts. And then they take a look at your amateurism as well. That is another part of your NCAA eligibility. Your amateurism is just how many years you played a high school sport. Or even whether it was travel or whether it was club. And it's making sure that you didn't play pro pro level, you know, that you still were an amateur. But a lot of students that do reclassify and do that, if they reclass and they don't graduate in that five-year time and they play an additional year, which a lot of kids did do in, in, uh, you know, in the COVID year, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, the, the amateurism could flag it and require you to submit more amateurism documentation, which means you're submitting how many games or how many events you participated in in that extra year. And if they deem you participated in a more time frame than you should have been within that four to five year time frame, they will take eligibility on the back end. Meaning, oh, you, you really? can, yes, meaning you can get that full scholarship. Congratulations. You're in there. You got that scholarship. But now you you're losing seven games or you're losing a year of games or you, whatever they deem you've done too much of in that high school level in that amateurism, they can take on the back end. And a lot of parents don't know that either. That, I mean, yeah, I'm. I'm I'm kind of blown away when you just said it. I had no idea. Because a lot of people think it's just the academic side and that's your eligibility. Eligibility is comprised of three three major components. You have to have your grades, obviously, your academic component, your 16 core course, your 2.3 GPA, bam. Then the next part is your amateurism. You must be an amateur and then you must compete within a certain amount of times. They give you four years. They'll give you a gap year, which is that fifth year. So the reclass student can still be eligible if they do it within that five-year period, right? Or it's the four years for a high schooler and maybe you do a year of prep. Long as you're within that five-year period, you're you're good. But Dave, when we where they mess up is you have the reclass student athlete who mm-hmm. does who then does what? They go to prep school. Yeah. So now you you reclass. So you had five years. So you probably did the five years of high school and then you went to prep school. So now it's the six year. You're over that amateurism clock, right? You're in, you're messing with eligibility. And then the third major thing is high school graduation, which a lot of time people get to high school graduation. That's the the third major component of eligibility. But that amateurism part, a lot of people have forgotten about, especially since the pandemic. They're like, oh, well, that year didn't count and they didn't count it against us and this and that. You have to understand the NCAA is ever changing the rules and you have to be up to date. Yes, they may have allowed that year to account for class of 2023, but that may not be the same rules that's applying to the class of 2024. So you have to check that. Wow. I, I, I appreciate you explaining that. So, and then in terms of, let's say, you know, kids go to JUCO, they're at D3. Mm-hmm. Do they have to go back through the eligibility center when, so, if they go D1 or D2? Yes. So there, so to, so be cert, certified. So say you go junior college um, and you're deciding to do two years and then you're going to transfer. They call that a two, four transfer, or you could do a four, two, four transfer. You're going four years to a two year to a four year. Either way, you would have to go to the eligibility, but they have a different option for that. And there's an option. I think it's option two that transfers would submit their eligibility through that center. And then they would certify you that way. Um, A lot of student athletes don't know that as a junior college student, if you do go JUCO, if you, they will look at your eligibility from high school, they will decide whether you were a qualifier out of high school or non-qualifier. If you were a qualifier out of high school, you could attend a junior college and go for one semester and then go up and Mm. and transfer. If the school allowed it, right? And if they allowed it, you can go one year and go up. If you are a non-qualifier, you cannot leave that junior college before two years, basically. You have to do, not only get a certain amount of English credits, you have to get a certain amount of math credits in addition before you could transfer out of that school. And a lot of student athletes don't know that. They think, oh, well, I spent two years here and then I could just transfer and go to the four-year school. No, you have to make sure you get a certain amount of credits needed to transfer in order to leave that junior college. And they're basing that off of your high school status. So high school is always going to count. <laughs> oh. uh, 
<laughs> it's always going to count, but sometimes we forget that when they get to college. They're like, why are they looking at my high school stuff? No, they want to know if you were a qualifier or not, because that's going to either speed up the process or not for you in that junior college. Wow. that, that That's, see, another nugget right there. So um, here here's the thing I think everybody uh, likes to discuss, but really don't want to talk about it, transfer portal. Yeah. Thoughts? Uh, what are your thoughts on the portal? How does it affect academics overall? What is the future of the portal, in your opinion? Oh, uh, well, it's here. You know, um, the transfer portal is here. We we have to deal with it. It is it, it is for high school student athletes. Obviously, it's affecting the student athlete because a coach at any level is going to go to a the, to the portal first, or they're going to save some scholarships for those for that portal because the kids are already there. Those kids are already qualified. Those kids are already at the next level, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they don't have to look at the high school. However, there are still there are still schools recruiting high school athletes because they still want the youth, right? They still want that fresh body that's going to do it. But what it what it tells a high school student athlete and a high school family is make sure you're on your stuff. There should never be a reason why you're academically ineligible. You should be prepped and ready to go. You should be in the gym, working on your craft, being ready physically so that when they do recruit you, you're able to go. It also should tell a high school student, athlete, and family, we're not in the old days where you could play around with offers. If you get a legitimate offer and an offer for a visit, and I'm not talking about those fake offers we get when we're in like an eighth and ninth grade. I'm talking about the real offers. Right. You don't have time to play around with these schools. Uh, and, and, and I'm say that right. again. I'm like, sorry to interrupt you. Please say that one more time for the listeners. You don't have time to be playing around with your school as a high school student athlete. Okay, granted, if you are a top 25 ranked student athlete, you may have a little space, but that's 25 students. Yeah. <laughs> that, so anybody else, anybody else, which is everybody else, you won't have time to be playing around with the office. So if you play around here, like, oh, I don't know, I don't want to commit. I want to hold my offer to the spring. I don't want to early decide. I want to do this. And I'm not forcing kids to to early decide, but I am forcing you and your family to highly consider it early because the longer you wait, the longer the college season is going and the longer they have time to see those other players playing and decide, hey, forget this. I'm not going to high school. I'm going portal. So a lot of the times I'm, I'm, you know, I'm halfway, I'm 50, 50. We have a lot of the high school scene saying that's not fair. They're not giving our high schoolers any chance, but then we have high schoolers not taking these offers seriously. They're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting around for a better offer. Are you, the, you go ahead and wait around because the transfer portal is here. You still have division three people trying to get to D2. You have D2 students trying to get to D1 and vice versa. Right. And you have D1, mm-hmm. D1 kids who are, let me not get on that, but they're unhappy, or maybe they even got pushed out. Let's be real. You some some students get to D one and they think they're the stuff, and then they can't compete at that level, and then they want to leave. Or the sad side of it is they get there, and this is not the right fit, and then they have to go into the portal. And thirdly, there are some programs that are pushing kids out, right? Because right. what you have to understand, this is still a business. It's still a business, and high school sports makes a lot of money, but college sports makes even more. And if you're not winning. They and, and you're not winning. They're switching coaches. They're switching players, and it's it's unfortunate. But we have to understand this is the game where we want to play, right? This is what we want to go into. So understand it's a business. And if you show up to work prepared and ready to do your job, 
more, more times out of not, you're going to be good. But if you come out and you want to play around with offers or you don't want to do that, listen, they are going to go to the transfer portal. They are going to recruit over you. They're going to do some things like that. Um, the transfer portal's here. Um, I think, obviously, it is affecting. I think it will get a little better, but then there's going to be some teams that are going to keep going to that portal until it proves, until they put some more regulation in place. How about that? Until, uh. And they have added some more regulation recently. Um, like, you know, you, a person can't transfer three times without, you know, being flagged or two times. So there is some, and then like, if you're in college, you have to put your name in the transfer portal before that school summer school starts. So there are some more stipulations being added to it. So you can't, so it's starting to get a little bit better. Um, however, and, but I still, because I work with high school, I'm always encouraging my families when you get an offer, you do your research right then and there. We're not waiting. Decide. This is, if this is what we want, if it's not, okay, then we can move on. I'm not forcing them to it, but I'm telling them to heavily consider that offer earlier than later. Absolutely. I, and I'm so glad you said that. And just the back end question with COVID, it seems like uh, some of those COVID year, uh, play, the players that were affected by the COVID years, it's almost, they're going to be kind of out of that portal yeah. system soon. So do you think that will help some of the high school players or? Um, yes and no. Right. Um, we, we, I'm going to be real with you. Um, a lot of people keep talking about, oh my God, they got an extra year. They got this, they got this. Listen, people will, college players were leaving earlier than before any, all the time, especially on the men's side, you know, girls will always stay. Yeah. Well, they, they, girls graduate more times out of nine, right? They not, yeah. you're, not, you're not going to Demi Bay. You didn't do four years in college unless you go overseas. And the transfer portal was not this. What what I think we're not realizing is now more kids are going to start staying in college. And you know why? Because they're paying them. The NIL yeah. has changed the game. We're still concentrating on the transfer portal. I'm concentrating on the fact that there's going to be more kids staying in college more than ever, which is, it could be a good thing because we'll have more kids graduating with degrees. Amen. And I'm about that life. But the NIL game has changed dramatically, you know, drastically, and that's keeping more kids in, into college. So I do think the COVID year is starting to weigh out and, and those spots will open up again. However, there are probably some student athletes that are still in college now that wouldn't have been, and it has nothing to do with the transfer portal. It's everything to do with that NIL. Mm, you know, that, you know I, I look at the University of North Carolina men's basketball and I'm looking at Amando. He, he's still in college. <laughs> that and is an and that's what, and I'm and I'm just going to leave that right there because if he wasn't getting paid, my man would have went been trying to get to the league. And I and I all respect to him. I don't I don't knock the hustle. Keep doing right, your right. thing. That is a wonderful decision because I, I want you to get a degree and I want you to get your bag. But and I quote Andrew Reese. She said, "I'm in no rush to get to the league." Yeah, I, had, I was going to say that. Yep. She said, "I'm in no rush, girl. Don't rush. Get your education and keep making that money and doing your thing in the college." So, high schoolers and high school families have to look at that too and understand that this recruiting it has changed this whole scope of recruiting. Not only do you got to get your grades right, you got to do this. They are, you know, you're competing against brands that are being made. So they're looking at all of that. When a college is recruiting a student athlete, they're looking at what you can add to the brand that's already existing now. And back in the day, we didn't have to face that. So you gotta be you gotta be very active in you know in your recruiting and understanding what the school is offering you early on. Wow, yeah, that, that's that's you're absolutely right. And not to go down the NIL, <laughs> but it seems like a lot of well, 
D2s, they just don't have a NIL collective set up. Mm-hmm. Why is that, you think? I think it's lack of funding. There's a reason why, you know, Division Two is Division Two, Division Three. Just it's all funding, right? If you have uh-huh. the money to be Division One, you're Division One. A lot of people don't know that either, and it's like, oh, they're D1 because they're the best. No, they have the money to be D1. Like uh-huh. they paid to be D1, and the same thing with D2 is funding. It goes, it goes into funding, um, and I think a lot of times you just, you just, they just don't have that extra funding to do that. They don't even have the recruiting budget to do that. So imagine NAL. Um, and you're seeing more like power five schools and bigger names. They have NIL positions like on staff, mm-hmm. you know, like we can use LSU because they pride themselves on like the NIL kingdom. You know, they, they're getting NIL deals for every sport on their campus. Jeez. That's not, you go play a sport at LSU, you're getting an NIL, you're getting a deal. And, right. and so it's, it's, it's like the Haven, but there are some division one programs who haven't done as much in that in that field, but they're trying, right? With the with the budget they have left. Division two doesn't have it as much, but the thing about it is is it's still there. And wow. same thing, it's same thing with division three, or even NAIA, the budget is just, you know, it's not there. But you'll see some programs starting to pick it up, even like your HBCUs, they're even starting to pick it up and starting to put money into that that NIL that NIL well as well. Awesome. So uh, uh just a uh, last question. Uh, before we kind of shut things down and and then we can give the people um, some information on how to contact you and things like that. But um, future of grassroots basketball. Uh, (laughs) I know this might be somewhat a difficult question, but you know, when we were growing up, man, we didn't have uh, 50 teams in in a 30 mile radius. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it is a business. Right. And so, and no disrespect, I think, you know, um, Coaches maybe should be paid for the time, maybe not. But um, are we teetering or messing around with they're doing it for the love of money? Or are we doing it for the love of sport? What, what is your thoughts if you care to share? Oof, that's a hard question, man. This, <laughs> um, I would love to believe, and I, I always like to assume the best of everyone. So I always like to assume the best of everyone. If you're getting into grassroots basketball, you're doing it for the love of the game and helping young people get to that next level, right? And helping young people accomplish their dreams. Oftentimes we see that it's so much competition and that's why you see all these these teams popping up because I want to be better than this and I want to say I got this instead of us just working together yeah. and, and doing it. Now granted, there are different levels, right? We have our circuit, mm-hmm. level, our circuit level teams and then you have independent level teams and then you have even you know lower than that independent you have some more local local level you know um aau but when the circuits the circuits are coming in and they want to make sure they have uh, uh, a place in every area they're going to get a couple of teams so you're going to have your adidas teams you're going to have your under armor you're going to have your nike mm-hmm. and they're going to pick you know a couple of areas and so you automatically got three 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 circuits competing against each other to get the best players of the area and then you have those independent teams trying to grab at the scraps that so to speak right and what we should be doing is working together to get to the next level and to help our student athletes achieve their dreams i think a lot of the times what we're seeing now which is so unfortunate is independent level teams trying to be compete with the, the circuit level teams in the area because they think they need to to grab the people and then circuit level teams competing against the other circuit level teams. And I'm yeah. like, guys, this is high school basketball. <laughs> right. Like, what are we doing to get more notoriety to say we're the best, to say we're this? But how about we boast in we're getting kids to college? 
we're getting, you know, I, I love when we win, you know, Peach Jam and we win the Adidas Stripe Championship and Undom. That is so exciting. But, and however, does that guarantee everyone on that roster a scholarship? No. 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 And, that, and that's, that's the goal of grassroots. The goal of grassroots is to get them on the stage to be shown to get scholarships. And if everyone remembers the why behind playing, we'll be better off for it. Um, and I, and I, think, I think it's getting better because programs are being held accountable. I know on a circuit level, because I do work with programs, I do work with Team Direct program, mm-hmm. and they're being held to a standard of having education, community service, different things like that. So I, I could speak that that's being, it's starting to trickle down, but we have to keep that wire in, in the forefront. We're out here to help kids achieve their dreams and get them seen to get scholarships. And then for some of us, we're going to get even future pros. And that's, yeah. that, that's, that's the exciting part. That's the exciting part. You're helping uh, a family and a, and a team follow their dreams. So, uh, and if you don't mind, you mentioned that you helped with Durant. Um, yes. So explain that real quick, if you don't mind. Just uh, So so I have the awesome opportunity of being the education director for Team Durant. And, and wow. That, well, thank you. Thank you. And, that, and that's a role that... Um, Number one, it, it, it didn't exist in the DMV before. This. Right. And, um, and I'm starting to see it in, in more programs, but, you know, maybe not in the extent that I have the opportunity to do that. And so um, Wayne Pratt, who is the executive director of Team Durant, also Kevin Durant's dad, brought me on, along with Osmond Bangor. And they said, listen, I need you to make sure you're checking all these kids, checking their transcripts, making sure they're getting to college. So, you, so we're not just bringing kids on our program. If you ain't doing your stuff in the classroom and, mm-hmm. and that's straight up and that's, that's starting as low as third, fourth grade, right? You got to be doing your stuff in the classroom because ultimately when they call for those scholarships, you want to make sure you're getting them. Like literally I talked to a coach from a power five school this week and his words exactly. And I'm not going to say his name because I don't, you know, I don't know if my kid right. going to choose a school or not. So, <laughs> but he said, I love recruiting your program. Because you're going to coach them hard on the court. And I know they're handling their business off the court. And that meant a lot. That meant a lot to me because that's what we wanted to build. And our program, Team Durant in particular, is actually one of the younger programs in the DMV. If you think yeah. about it, some of these programs have been established for years and mm-hmm. doing a great job. We have the awesome um, area. DMV is one of the most highly recruited areas for the sport of basketball. Yes. And um, it's not going to change. And so since we have that target on our back, if we all came together and make sure our kids are doing their thing in the classroom, we'll be better off for it. I'm, I'm grateful that I get to do it with Team Durant. And to be honest, because I do this as my independent business, I get to do it with a lot of other individuals and um, families that play for different organizations in the area. But Team Durant sort of fit to make it a, a position for me on the, in, in, in the program. That, that's, that's phenomenal. And real quick, so do you think that um... – uh, development has lacking, or is development now go to your trainer, or do you think uh, the coaches and organizations still have a role in development? I just had to ask that. Um, I, it's both. I think it's it's mutual, right? You do need training. You have to do your stuff outside to team working, but development is is nonstop. We should be ever learning because the game is always changing. Yeah, and so there's going to be things you have to work on personally with your trainer. Hey, we got to get you ready. You know. Um, counters or, you know, how to attack the basket, then how to defend this and that. But then there's, then development also happens on the court, developing that basketball IQ. It, a lot of kids say, I want to play at the next level. I want to do this. 
and they're playing for a program running the same, you know, motion offense from like third grade. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but I've seen it, right? <laughs> like, like, like you on 16, you were on motion. It's like, what? Like you, and then they'll come up and then you'll be like, oh, we're going, we're going to shallow cut. We're going to do this. We're going to stagger screen. We're going to, and they can't understand the things that are, that that's being said. And I think that has a lot to do at the team level, right? Because they're, they weren't getting developed and they want to go play at a power five division one school. They're not going to go back to saying, this is how you set a screen. This is how you flare the screen. This is, they're not, that, that should be happening at this level. So that's why I say, I think it's twofold. I think it has to, you do your individual training. And I think that's what's happening. Some kids are doing so much individual training that it doesn't translate to the game because they don't know team basketball and oh. vice versa. Then we got kids who hide in an offense. And then when you try to get them by themselves, they don't know how to even take a kid to the basket because they never did any outside training. So I think it's twofold. And and, and when you do both of those things and, you, and you're under the right teaching, let me say that. And when you're under the right teaching, that's advancing you and you know, putting you at the next level, you'll see it. You'll see it on the stage, right? You'll see it when it counts, when you're getting recruited, when you're going to the next level. I think that's why grassroots is so important. We should be spending more time instead of competing versus everybody else. We should be developing our kids because a lot of the time when they don't get those scholarships or if they do get at the next level and then you stay on the bench and then they're like, oh, I want to leave. I want to do that. It's because a lot of time they, they did not get developed in that that secondary level in that high school level. And they're just having a hard time following plays at that next level. It's not all glitz and glamour. You got to learn how to play basketball too and have some basketball IQ. <laughs> Preach it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're getting ready to come to the end of the program. So I always do a rapid fire to end, but before we do our rapid fire, um, what first tell, tell the listeners how they can contact you. And um, don't you have a book or what do you, you have something? I knew yeah. you had one book. You have something. I did. I did. Right? I did. I did have a book. I did. I, well, I still do, you know, and it was, a, it was about the pa- pandemic and just the state of recruiting and that, and that's still out, but I have it. I have an ebook coming out and it will be announced on my pages. So I do have something coming out. Okay. Awesome. Um, we'll and I'm working on it. I'm working on that. And you can get in contact with me on my Instagram. It is my name, Sinead.y.howard. Just my main name on my Instagram page. And I have my calendar link there. It has my email. And that's how most people are getting in contact with me. And it's the same thing on TikTok. My name, Shanae Y. Howard. Um, that's how anyone can get in contact with me to speak to me, to for me to assist them with any of their questions. I love uh, every time you post something on Instagram. It's so like, I feel like young again, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there watching and it's, you know, and you're hitting the points, but you make it fun and yeah, yeah. lively. Oh man, it's great. So I, I just tell everyone, please go uh, follow uh, both TikTok, IG on both platforms. It's a must. I suggest um, because the way the game is transforming, um, of course, I don't have the knowledge like you do, but if you have a middle school kid and maybe you can say something differently, but I, I think they should come see you now. Oh, yeah. I work with middle school starting as early as sixth grade because yeah. that's that's when the decisions start happening about that seventh grade year and then that eighth grade. And a lot of our students are repeating in eighth and seventh grade and they're starting early because they're like, well, I don't want to do it in high school because they're going to get flagged. So they want to start in middle school, but you still need a plan. Yeah. And you got to start that plan early um, if you are deciding to do that. And so definitely reach out to me. I do do a free 15 minute consultation. And obviously all my knowledge that I put out on Instagram and TikTok is free knowledge. Take it, please spread it. But if you want individually to reach out to me and, and talk with me, I do do a 15 minute consult that you can just 
come and chat with me about your situation and I'll, and I'll offer some solutions. And you know, these parents, they'll spend a hundred dollars an hour uh, for that personal trainer where I think this is far more important. Um, so I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, we've been in the game so long and I mean, at, at certain points, man, the trainer can only, I mean, the kid knows how to dribble. The kid knows how to shoot. You're just re reinforcing positivity, right? Yes. <laughs> I'll just be honest. You know it. <laughs> Listen, that's that's really what you're doing. You're just reinforcing what they already know, but you're still taking the money. But, Absolutely. <laughs> so. All right. So let's get into our rapid fire before we end. So I just got uh, about seven or eight questions and okay. whatever comes up to your mind. All right. Asia Wilson or Brianna Stewart? Asia Wilson. Hands down. <laughs> oh, Okay. Slice of New York pizza or a slice of New York cheesecake? Yeah, a slice of New York pizza. Absolutely. Curry or LeBron? Curry. Mm. Uh, zone or man defense? Ooh, I'll say man to man. You got to play that zone right, so I got to say man to man. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, Trader Joe's or Wegmans? Trader Joe's, hands down. Come on. Oh, yes, me too. Uh, would you rather take a history course or a math course? History. <laughs> Look, I, I ran into that one. History. All right. Mets or Yankees? Uh, Yankees. <laughs> uh -huh. All right. Last question. You got to invite one over for dinner and you got to tell me why. Spike Lee or Denzel Washington? Oof, Denzel. I just got to figure out, I got to figure out what his movie, this repertoire, and then I want to know how he does his walk because it's the same in every movie. Even if he's doing The Preacher's Wife to... He's doing a gun gunslinging movie. Like, how does he keep it the same? You know, I love Denzel. Spike, I love you too, but Denzel Washington. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, Coach, uh, it's been a pleasure, a blessing. Uh, best podcast uh, to date. It's just so natural talking with you and everyone, everyone, everyone. If you have a kid, and you will do other sports as well. It doesn't just have to. Be oh, that. I do. I do all sports. I have. I have athletes from football, rowing, track and field, baseball. You name it. I work with all student athletes because the NCAA eligibility is the same for all sports. <laughs> so it's the same talk. So you can come see me. Go see Coach Howard. Um, thanks again, and and you have a, a great rest of your uh, evening, year, and we'll be in touch um, soon. And I thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.